welcome to the Young Leaders Now podcast. My name is Jared Proudfoot and I'm joined here today by Pumla Maswanganyi, who is a South African entrepreneur, development strategist and mentor working at the intersection of design, global development and youth and women empowerment. As a global citizen speaking seven languages and having lived and worked on five continents, she is committed to disrupting conventional development approaches such as traditional education and employment norms. Pumla currently serves as an executive leader and strategist in three social impact focused organizations. Hello, Pumla. Hi, how are you? Well, thanks. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. So just to start, do you work at three social impact focused organizations, which is a lot. How do you balance your time and, and maybe just tell us a little bit about those organizations? So I am the head of strategy and operations at Barbup Consulting, um, which is a consulting firm that is focused on supporting leaders and organizations that are making an impact in Africa through PR communications and advisory support, to name a few. Um, and then I also serve as the chief strategy officer at JARA, where we create personalized crank and solar-powered educational devices for children in post-disaster zones so that they can learn anywhere, anytime. And then the third one, so this is me sort of serving on the board of this organization. Mm-hmm. It's a youth uh, education coalition, yeah. So in terms of how I balance it all, um, the honest answer would be I don't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of in, in theory, I have sort of designated times for different things, but it just sort of helps that my mind always operates at sort of multiple levels at the same time, as as do we all, you know, um, and I just kind of enjoy those complexities of having multiple things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can go into a little bit more detail about uh, each of those roles a little bit later. Yeah. But Just to begin with, why don't we talk a little bit about your background. So you were born in in South Africa. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I grew up in South Africa in Gatlehong, which is a township in the East Rand or sort of eastern, southeastern part of Johannesburg, if you will. And so I was born in post-apartheid South Africa in 1994 and um, grew up in, as I mentioned, a township, which is basically a place that was a result of engineered inequality. So it was made to house black people strategically in a certain area far far away from resources and sort of proper yeah i'd say resources for advancement yes Mm -hmm. and then strategically close enough for them to have access to cities and be able to sort of work in those cities Mm -hmm. um and so when apartheid ended townships did not magically end of course so those inequalities still um, exist and those are some of the things that I inherited as well for example like I grew up in a house with no running water in the house um, the tap was outside there was like no ceiling in parts of the house um, no bathroom obviously toilet was outside so good luck when it's raining mm. and those were some of the things that kind of just made me aware of the realities that existed around me both from my own experience but from the experience of those around me and uh, where did you go to school So I actually went to school. I had the privilege of going to a private school, um, despite the odds. So my mom really believed that education was very important. And she said, even if we go to bed hungry at night for you to get an education, then so be it. And, you know, by God, that never happened, thankfully. Um, But we definitely did struggle to get through it. And I did get suspended a few times as we could not pay the fees. However, being in this private school I kind of lived two lives like I lived that life in the township with you know the the black kids and like seeing how just seeing poverty in a very real way seeing teen suicides seeing all those 
all those things are sort of pervaded um, where we were. But then also going to school in this private school um, where everything was sort of relatively lavish. My classmates were getting money for lunch that equaled the money that I got at home, that we had at home for groceries for a month, you mm. know. It was very real inequalities, but also very good education, not only in terms of books, but just in terms of how the world works, unfortunately, in many ways, how certain privileges are inherited and how also the choices that people make are really all on top of a foundation of the chances that they were dealt with. You know, you cannot sort of make a choice that's outside of um, what you inherited. So I just became aware of all those things and, yeah, really did get a good education and that's kind of what set me up for the rest of the things that would follow. And were those inequalities fairly common in Johannesburg uh, at that time? Yeah, South Africa is actually known as one of the most unequal societies, countries in the world. And that inequality is so apparent. Later on, actually, I ended up doing a, a paper sort of on chemistry, environmental science, um, just looking at water quality and how a river running through two um, communities could tell us more about those inequalities from mm. sort of a scientific perspective. But it was really just because um, you had this one river that ran through a really, really lavish community, Danefern, one of the richest communities in the country. And like less than five kilometers from there, you have amongst the most impoverished slums in the country, mm. Deep Slurred. It is so apparent. Not only can you see it from an aerial view, like from a plane, but even just walking through, you can just see it. Mm. Um, so there's no way you can say you just didn't notice it. It's just that depending on whether you have the luxury to kind of sleep far from it, it, it just becomes normalized is really what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if... If you don't have to deal with it, it can just become normal to see that. Mm. So at the age of 15, you uh, you won a scholarship to attend high school in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, so this was a really pivotal like pivotal um, experience. So a friend of mine just saw the scholarship via text and she was like, just apply. <laughs> um, so it was a very sort of shady, shady thing that maybe I should have thought twice. But um, <laughs> looking at the website you know it just became apparent that these were values that are also held so it was a scholarship to attend the united world college of maastricht in the netherlands and it, it's a scholarship that's a combination of merit but also primarily awarded to people who align with the mission of creating peace and advancing the mission of peace around the world it was a great opportunity for me to learn more about how rather the norms that i had grew up with were just one way to live and I think any opportunity to travel can do that for a person where you realize that the way that you do things is not necessarily like right or wrong, but it's just one way to do it. And so, yeah, and that was a really sort of monumental lesson for me. And I also got to learn a lot about the similarities of the human experience in different parts. As in my first year, I was one of 50 people in the boarding house from 42 different countries. So, oh, wow. yeah, so that is an experience where, you know, we just got really, really close obviously by virtue of just like having each other sure our differences were very apparent but so were our similarities in a really high level and so like through UWC I became more aware of just how close we are in the world and everything just became very personal to me you know countries became people for example when there was the earthquake and ha that happened in Chile in 2010 it was one of the biggest I was actually um, with my roommate who's from Chile and we were Skyping her family 
you know, so we're busy chatting and then all of a sudden we see her dad just run away. We start to see like things swaying in the back and it was just so scary. And I'm mm. like here with her noticing an earthquake in her country and it would only appear in the news like hours later. And to sort of have that happen in front of my eyes, like really just it, things just became closer you know like news happened in front of me before it was even on the news i saw syria unfold through some of my colleagues there as well who were just starting to share about how they can no longer go home and having to navigate where they would stay in europe because things were just unfolding and then again it wasn't even news yet uh, i saw the tunisian revolution unfold and the arab spring going to egypt you know through my friend who could no longer um communicate with her family and then again this was like before news even cover it you know so mm. and that's how like that just really influenced me to kind of operate on a global level mm -hmm. as I just really saw how close um, things were to me and I just realized that I really am a part of like the global family and you also had the opportunity to work on internationally focused projects as well um, yeah in particular one with the Afghan women's soccer team that was an opportunity that I got through the... Our, our school was basically a part of a delegation for the Global Issues Network meeting that was happening in Luxembourg. And the theme of that year was equality for all. And so one of the people who had created our delegation saw a documentary on the Afghanistan women's soccer team and how they were banned by the Taliban from playing their sport and as a result faced death threats. And they their entire livelihoods were really threatened just for the sole purpose that they were playing soccer and they were women and that was it. And so she decided that it would be great for us to represent them, get in touch with them, have a better understanding of them and like the different s stakeholders involved in, you know, allowing them sort of play their sport and then just represent their case. And so I was one of the people who was able to do that. And that involved getting to learn more from Khalida and the rest of the team. And, you know, it was very monumental for me to just realize how much women are facing you know how much challenge women are facing around the world like of mm. course we have sort of typical like microaggressions and different systemic things all over the world of course i understood it from that perspective but to really see someone be barred from playing a sport just because like she's a woman mm. and you know they would tell us how they were stranded to practicing on airport landing strips in danger in different places that really were just not safe they had garbage thrown on them on their way home as i mentioned they got death threats this was really dangerous circumstances for them and they did not even on a global level get the support that they that they needed and that they were asking for all the way to in in terms of sponsorship they had gone to nike they had gone to adidas you know brands that prize themselves in, in supporting people who are really out there and going for it and they tell you to just do it and they tell you that impossible is nothing through their slogans but you know fail to really show up when it counted so they ended up um, being sponsored by Hummel which is a Danish brand and that was so part of my responsibility was getting in touch with Hummel and finding out how did they learn about the women and you know why would they support them when it's kind of so risky for their business right but of course for them they really stood with them because they they really represent what it means to just live your dream despite the odds that was a really powerful experience getting in touch with Khalida learning more from them 
personally and just having that privilege to represent them in Luxembourg. And do you know what Halida is doing at the moment? At the moment, she she no longer plays. Um, she is actually settled on refugee status in, in Denmark. Yeah, mm. so she was awarded asylum there. Mm. And in terms of her career at the moment, I'm not quite sure, but I do know that she is safe now. Mm-hmm. And she you know, is still a supporter and a champion for equality. Mm. Yeah. So this is when you're first starting to kind of develop your your worldview. So you moved to the U.S. to a college just south of Minnesota, St. Olive College. Uh, Tell us about moving to the U.S. and and some of the the key differences there between the U.S. and the Netherlands. So, yes, I was awarded a scholarship to St. Olive College. And while there as a kind of typical liberal arts person, I did studio art and um, African development and African Americas and business management, like just everything I could possibly study. And it was a very unique experience because I kind of came at a time when Obama was getting reelected, left at a time when Donald Trump was getting elected Mm. so the transition was just very very unique and it translated all the way um, throughout my college experience we just became aware of the political sphere more aware of ourselves as internationals in the states and and race and things that we had kind of all been battling with at the time yeah Mm. so yeah so it was a very unique experience and then again kind of cemented that worldview I guess from a different country this Mm. this time so obviously from Europe, there are certain like viewpoints that one one could get, but from the States and it being kind of like the home of dreams and all of mm-hmm. that, you know, there were certain elements of it that, of being in the US that were freeing that kind of made us feel like, or made me feel anyway, like I could just sort of pursue anything and then achieve it. But also it was just very interesting to see what the world looked like from, from this view and um, really inspired me to kind of go for it, yeah. you know, in terms of like, just starting to quote-unquote change the world on my own. So this is when you're maybe starting to develop uh, an interest in entrepreneurship or at least social entrepreneurship and yeah you're realizing that you can make a difference yourself in Mm -hmm. some of the issues that you're passionate about. You've worked on a couple of ventures uh, Mm -hmm. since since moving uh, from the Netherlands. Uh, Walk us through them and what they're about, what countries they were working in and some of the success you achieved through them. Um, sure. So the first one was actually um, Philosoph, which I started with a high school friend of mine. And the idea was really, in fact, at the time when we were starting, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but then through the help of applying to CGIU, Clinton Global Initiative University, um, we kind of honed in more on our idea, which ended up kind of being starting a coffee cooperative for coffee farmers who were transitioning from the unstable market of tobacco farming um, to coffee farming and this was in Indonesia Um, and so we actually won some funding from the university to be able to go to Indonesia so I was there in 2014 for a month going from Bandung, Jakarta, Bali, Temanggung like I really got to see a lot of the country and so um, yeah, so we settled on Temangung. We learned more on the farmers, the coffee farmers' challenges, their transition, you know, some of the issues that they had been facing all the way to simple things like branding their coffee as Sumatran instead of from Temangung because people wouldn't buy it because it's not recognized, you know, to greater challenges such as exploitation that they were facing for their product, you know. So it was a very good learning opportunity and we did not quite get to start our cooperative as we had originally planned and instead we just really diverted our focus to just shedding 
more light on the issues that are happening in the coffee farming market and then you know setting ourselves up to kind of go back and really help at a later stage what what was the first moment that you realized you could you could make a difference was it you know when you were awarded that scholarship to travel to indonesia or was it you know attending cgiu and being around other like-minded people when was that yeah i think it it's a combination of of all those things you know definitely just like being with my friend and talking about some of these issues and talking about our our passion i mean our passion for coffee right and then just seeing some of the issues that were going on there and we're like we really love this product but but by mindlessly purchasing we're part of the problem Hmm. right so that was something that that really affected us and sort of drove us to look for more and then applying to CGIU and getting and getting in and being one of the people who were sort of awarded the privilege of like presenting our our project that was another moment that that really cemented that because people passed by us and we told them more about the idea and they they really validated it you know and gave us the the necessary push to actually pursue it further which is then what inspired us to apply for the funding and then getting that um, was an even extra push to get obviously that financial support is really someone saying I believe that you can do it and that Mm -hmm. you should by literally just opening the door for us to do that and then us being in Indonesia and like learning more about those challenges on the ground that was um, another thing that really made us realize that sure we don't have everything but we do have something to support and even if it's as small as spreading the word that's a pretty big deal Mm. you know because of course you have social media and all of that but we have access to networks that have powerful players and powerful influencers people who would be able to actually use that message and translate it into some kind of action so then you started working on uh, Nimble Fingers, and that was actually how we first met you. Right? Yes. You pitched that at uh, the Resolution SVC at CGIU. Mm-hmm. You've been to CGIU three times now? Three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a senior member at That's this right. point. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what was the, uh, the SVC like, kind of pitching your, your idea to a, to a group of judges? The SVC experience was actually very interesting. Like leading up to it, I'd actually applied to resolution before and not gotten gotten in. So the SVC was really important in like showing me that resolution is real, first of Mm -hmm. all, because from the application on a paper, it doesn't really feel very real. Seeing the different people involved, you know, was actually just a really amazing, amazing experience and seeing how convicted they were to support young people who have an idea to change the world that was great and so we were given a a space to present and we shared a little bit with people who are from the resolution community but also the cgiu community and it was really great meeting them then again getting those sort of validating ideas and getting challenging questions as well you know so from like right off the bat just from presenting before we even get we even got the fellowship we already had people who were challenging us making us think about things a little bit differently saying hey did you consider this viewpoint you know and so it was a great learning experience already Mm. um and then of course like the the final presentation itself was very nerve-wracking but then again it is those questions that very seriously even actually like right after the svc i remember talking to my fellow co-founder and we were like okay actually that question like we need to we really need to like hone in on that Mm. we need to think about how we're going to restructure that you know so yeah it was a very helpful um thing to go through and of course just so rewarding to actually get the fellowship after that um because 
we had people who were advising us, so I actually didn't think we would get it. So it was um, very amazing to see that Resolution really did believe in, in us and in what we were doing. And then after getting the fellowship to actually know that it wasn't just about the venture, but about us as well as, as people, as leaders, that was even far more validating, honestly. That's what made us feel like we actually can achieve something because they saw beyond just what we were trying to do, but really saw us as people who are um, worth supporting. Mm. And uh, walk us through the pilot program for Nimble Fingers. Nimble Fingers, as an as an initiative, was actually built to alleviate child marriage through vocational training. So offering that as a form of education, right? Because the reason why it started um, was because my fellow co-founder had a friend who she had, well, she had been going to school, everything was just going well. And then one day she went missing. And then, you know, a few weeks, months down the line, they get a call from her. Um, what country is this? Sorry, this was in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they got a call from her saying, you know, I'm in the northern states. I've been taken as a bride and I'm just really scared. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to go back home. These people expect me to have a child, you know, and she was 14 years old. So that was very traumatic, obviously, for the girl who was going through it. And also for my friend who was on the other side of the line, you know, just really not knowing what to do as a child herself. And so we spoke about this in 2013. And then just it was it was just a conversation, really. Um, And then in 2014, she was like, I think we can do something about this. And, you know, what we had seen was that there are so many it's just a very nuanced issue, you know. There are some really big globally recognized organizations that are using education as a way to alleviate child marriage. However, what we realize is that she was in school, you know, and she was taken out because she was viewed as a liability. So it was less an issue of education and more of an issue of the fact that according to those sort of cultural views and kind of the patriarchal views if you will she was viewed as an expense and that was the issue to solve you know rather than her going to school and so we then piloted it through rather with one girl who chose a vocation that she was interested in we partnered her with a a local business and she got to learn a few skills in sort of marketing herself and her product and seeing her life change through that made us realize that this is actually a very scalable model. This brings up an interesting issue around so the topic of child labor as well, mm-hmm, um, which mm-hmm. you were talking about before before this podcast. Outline that debate for us. That you know the people that equate maybe sort of entrepreneurship skills with with child labor. What's the what, what are the differences there? Yeah. So this was something that was actually brought up by someone who we were pitching to. So we were pitching our our project and this was actually after getting the fellowship mm. you know so if this would have happened before we might definitely have been in a very different place mm. but we had already gotten the fellowship we had seen that our idea actually makes sense so we came from a place of validation mm-hmm. right so we were presenting and sharing more about our idea and then uh one of the people who was a prospective funder was like how do i know that what you're doing is not actually increasing rates of child labor and and just swapping one problem with another, replacing child marriage with child labor. Mm. And that was a very eye-opening question on many levels. And that was a question that actually was very influential in me doing development in grad school Mm. (laughs) Uh, because uh, it just made me realize that any kind of development solution is nuanced. We have, of course, there's an importance of developing global policy, 
but things approaches need to be localized yeah. to really solve problems and so the fact that he immediately associated what we were doing with child labor showed a lot about the sort of culture that he's living in and the perspective that he was coming from where in in the western world like education is given there is nothing that's challenging a child's education and you can get a summer job you can get paid for your chores but it's all optional mm-hmm. there was no there was nothing else that's really threatening the system however when you're in a different place of course there are other challenges as we're discussing in in this case here with child marriage so that that was definitely one of the things that was visible was just the difference in perspective but also as you're saying about teaching entrepreneurial skills it just also shows that we're we're still thinking of education as a very K to 12 traditional thing you know we don't quite even in the western world we haven't yet really transitioned to teaching entrepreneurship you know that seems like something that you just kind of learn later in life or maybe you choose in college but it's not yet seen as valuable to teach in the education system or it's not yet seen as a valued form of valuable rather form of education anyway yeah we just started thinking about all of those things um as we were kind of navigating this process mm. and championing innovation and, and creativity is something that's going to be really empowering for for young people as well right exactly yeah. yeah and they had the chance to choose their vocation mm-hmm. as well right in the same way we can choose our subjects mm-hmm. and so they it's it's not from a place of like you will do this for this many hours rather you get to choose this and you get to bring in income and you know you get to provide for yourself and bring in something for the family and you can develop upon that as you go along yeah mm. very empowering So walk us through wrapping up Nimble Fingers and then how you have stayed engaged with uh, the resolution community through your work as a guide you're now mentoring another resolution fellow. You know wrapping that up of course it's always very difficult to just kind of move on from something um but yeah it was a very uh, just a, a very eye-opening experience and also just showed me a lot about the ways in which it was necessary to pivot you know in order to be more impactful mm-hmm. and that was exactly what we did and then from there yeah the opportunity came up to transition to a guide which was just so such an amazing opportunity and so it was earlier this year that I became a guide to Eric in Kenya who is empowering young women through the arts through photography through dance as well as through sport with like soccer programs etc and um from nimble fingers to that you know there were a lot of lessons that I could like share with him from mm-hmm. what I had learned and that was a really kind of amazing way to transition into into that role and I got to meet him earlier this year actually when I was actually not even earlier this year just a few weeks ago yeah. when I was in Kenya so that was really great to see his work in action um and to see how resolution has supported him already what are some mm-hmm. of the the lessons that you are passing on it was just thinking about structure mm. honestly that was a big thing that we did not quite have with nimble fingers we obviously we had an idea and then we had like things in place to execute but without a systematic approach and so that's what i was helping him think through and things that I have been helping him think through rather things like what happens to the girls after they're done with your program where do they transition to have you established partnerships with spaces that they can transition to like with the dance program do they become dancers in like a national program with photography what do they do do they become employed as photographers and where mm. you know so just thinking through those different pieces thinking about what comes before the program what comes after it and how does the program actually prepare them for after so not only about the skills that they learn but also in terms of how does it just 
help them make that transition? How does it really catapult them? Those are just some of the questions that I've been able to to ask him, you know, and he is really thinking those pieces through and using that to establish those partnerships. So that's been really great. Tell us about some of the some of the friends you've made. Yeah, some of my friends. <laughs> just in the the resolution team, <laughs> you know, so not even to the fellows yet, but in the team I have like some really good friends, which is so amazing. Um to have the the opportunity to just like call in and talk to the team every now and again. But yeah, in terms of the fellows I have so my friends, Wandile, who he's also a fellow South African, who's also really thinking about how apartheid has affected people. He's looking at that through architecture. We've got James Tujimadie, who is really kind of focusing in on the water crisis in South Sudan, and he's really great too. Met him through Liz, who's a guide leader at Resolution and mm-hmm. who I also work with at Barbab Consulting, who I met through Resolution. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all kind of a loop. Um, right. But yeah, no, I've made some really good friends and they've been very key part of my journey. You know, not so long ago, I was talking to Wandilu, I was like, send me your goals for the rest of the year. The, the year. Like, mm-hmm. we need to talk about this, we need to achieve some things. <laughs> you know, so it's great to have people who, who challenge me in that way. And James as well. James was actually a very instrumental part of me being here. James challenged my idea of me looking for a nine to five job last year when we spoke last November. And mm-hmm. so because of him, I've actually pushed through in pursuing the different things that I'm working on. And it's, it's really painful paying off so mm. yeah it's, it's been great having such a big support system and uh Wandile and james uh i have been noticing are doing you know more and more speaking uh, opportunities mm-hmm. and i think that's something that that you're starting to develop as well right mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about um about that about you know being uh here in the u.s and and some of the conferences that you're attending so speaking is definitely becoming a bit of a thing like getting to share more and just my my ideas i guess on inequalities as i've mentioned on life chances on um interventions that I've, that can be placed in people's lives and um also just really the power of technology as well because that's some of the work that i do but yeah so while in the states in this case it's general assembly time united nations mm. the it's september is like the january of the un i guess yep. when people <laughs> everyone's here um, everybody's here yeah. yeah and we all just kind of convene to just round up on the year and really focus on what needs to be done for the next year so here attending some meetings because of that here um, with some clients who are also stakeholders in the General Assembly and get to be a part of things like the Africa Future Summit, African Women in Tech, you know, different events around that. And it's just a really good time, especially for the continent and thinking about just for IR, thinking about the future of work, thinking about how all those different pieces can work for development um, on a global scale on f- and for the continent. So just as we wrap up here, we always like to finish with a question uh, around uh, what advice you would give mm-hmm. for, for young people who are, who are looking to start out and to begin, you know, um, initiating social ventures or just interested in, in social entrepreneurship in general. What would be some of your advice? My advice, honestly, is is just reaching out and following up. Mm-hmm. That is what I've just become particularly good at and especially in the case of feeling like you don't really measure up or you don't really qualify i just challenge i just challenge you to like just keep pursuing whatever it is nonetheless most of the opportunities that i've gotten i really did not qualify for i when i applied for my scholarship the one that i got when i was 15 you're actually supposed to be 16 to get that scholarship (laughs) so just by 
by default already mm-hmm. <laughs> i was not supposed to have actually like gotten it necessarily um and on top of that i was not the most qualified person there and then from from there for university as well i actually certainly did not get the grades to go into my college you know but they still ex- accepted me anyway to go into grad school i should have had a development background but i had a degree in studio art mm. um I did not have the grades to do my study abroad. I mean, I could really just go on, you know, but I still applied and I still showed up and I still went to the different offices and sought advice. As I mentioned with the Resolution Fellowship, you know, the the team that was offering us advice, they didn't think we were going to get it. So in their eyes, we were not qualified, Mm. you know, so... It's persistence. Yeah, so honestly, it is. it really is that persistence. And I come from a background where, I, I mean, I need to be persistent. I don't necessarily have a choice Mm -hmm. and I just grew up knowing that it was either just do or you just don't survive (laughs) you know so it was that real for me Mm -hmm. I mean thankfully it's not necessarily about survival anymore but I think that's a spirit that I would love to pass on to different people like just just go for it even if it seems like you're not qualified whatever it is just do go for it and and reach out to people people are just people you know on the other side of emails and whatever it, it can just seem really daunting to do that like you don't know who's looking at your thing you don't know you just you just don't know right but just go from the perspective that they're humans as well you know and people are always actually looking for someone to be a part of what they're doing so if it is an organization that you're looking to work for or something that you're looking to start and you want to reach out to someone for advice just reach out to the human in them like that's Mm -hmm. really all it is they're people as well they're looking to be a part of something bigger as well Pumla, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Thank you.